Welcome back to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Pakulski, an incredible podcast for you today, diving into all the facets of behavior change. Every one of us who aspires to change our life, to ascend the mountain that is life, has to overcome some limiting beliefs and ascend through some behavior change in life. So if you're someone who has any goals in life, you're going to absolutely love my conversation with Casey Joe Arvidas, a previous athlete, now someone who instructs coaches and coaches herself. She's an absolute wealth of information. We get into what drives excellence, uh, ultimately what creates a wedge between stimulus and response, how to fit, how to overcome a fixed mindset, step into a growth mindset, the body-mind connection, the inextricable nature of the body and the mind that so many people don't acknowledge. So many people work in silos and think these things are separate when in reality, they're the same. And ultimately how we can begin to alter our unconscious beliefs to step into our true greatness. Today's podcast is brought to you by one of my longtime favorite products in the entire world is back, ladies and gents, sponsoring our podcast. Once again, bringing you the goods, Bubs Naturals. You guys know I've spoken a long time about my love affair with Bubs Naturals and how it starts my day literally every day. Two scoops of MCT, two scoops of collagen going into my coffee every day, adding a little bit of lion's mane, adding a little bit of alpha GPC, lights up my brain, lets me start my day and be absolutely focused and on point with a minimal, um, minimally breaking my fast. We'll say, well, it does it break your fast. Technically, yes. But the way it makes me feel allows me to be uh, satiated, lacking hunger, at least into midday. And I feel like my brain is just lit up. It's the way I start my day every day. And I suggest you do too. Head over to bubsnaturals.com. Use the code MUSCLE to get hooked up with 20% off that in anything store-wide. They have MCT powder, which as I say, is my favorite. It just makes your coffee so creamy. If you're someone who uses milk or cream or almond milk, Throw it away. Go get the MCT because you will thank me later. Everyone always does. And also, I highly suggest you check out their new products. They have a beauty collagen, which is awesome. They have apple cider vinegar gummies for yourself as a little treat. And uh, Bubs is just an awesome company all around, giving 10% of profits to charity. So don't forget to check out bubsnaturals.com, B-U-B-S-N-A-T-U-R-A-L-S.com, bubsnaturals.com. Use the code MUSCLE to get hooked up. Enjoy the podcast with Casey Joe Arvidas. I'd love to start with just having you kind of roll with um, your background and so how you got into the, the idea of behavior change and what drove your passion in that direction. Yeah, I kind of like fell into it really. Um, as you know, a very typical college aged female kind of goes through this process of, oh, well, I need to start taking care of myself. I was a varsity level volleyball player. And a lot of times that was where I got my exercise from like through high school. And now, you know, I am going into college and I need to figure this out for myself. So mm-hmm. um, I started doing what most women do, lots of cardio. I was running a lot, which like, I, why? <laughs> like, I do not even enjoy running, um, running a lot, doing that sort of thing. And just like not finding the results that I was looking for, you know, the very normal under eating over exercising type of thing, making room for plenty of like tequila shots on the weekends, of course, that sort of thing through college and um, was not seeing the results that I wanted. So this is where, you know, the beauties of the bodybuilding.com forums really caught my attention and um, learning more about strength training, especially for women, you know, um, Jamie Eason, Amanda Latona, all of these big names on bodybuilding.com. I was like, wow, like, kind of blew my mind, right? So what is like strength training? Like, okay, I don't have to run, amazing. (laughs) So um, I really dove into that and learned more about 
the nutrition and fitness side of things, okay, yes, like it's more than just calories and like protein is important and all of these things. And while I was learning all of this stuff for myself, I noticed how it would show up in other areas of my life too. So it was more dedication and confidence in all aspects of my life, not just in the gym. Um, so this was something that was very eye-opening to me as a psychology and sociology student at the time. And was just wondering, you know, why are more people not doing this? You know, why are more women not strength training if this is how it's going to make them feel and how it's going to benefit their lives? So I started to kind of go down that rabbit hole on the psychology end of things versus, you know, other people may be going the exercise physiology route or nutrition, like registered dietitian sort of route. Um, I was already really interested in psychology. So I originally was more so interested in like criminology and criminal psychology. Um, so I kind of like made a massive shift going the other direction. So actually my original research experience was mostly in prisons and jails, um, which most people are like, what? Whoa. <laughs> so um, I kind of made that shift and kind of made these connections, you know, when it was around time for me to start thinking about maybe graduate school programs or what I want to do with my life as a senior in college, I guess this might have been more like junior year, but um, I started to really have this sort of moment with myself of like, do I want to keep going the route of, you know, forensic psychology or do I want to really think more about this health and fitness stuff? And what I kind of came to was that everyone is interested in the criminology forensic science kind of that's why we have ncis and all of these like massive shows that have been around for forever um but not everyone is interested in the health and fitness stuff and that's a little bit more unique to me so i did kind of run with that um, and started applying to different phd programs across the country mainly looking to answer this question that i had in my head of why are more people not doing this if it's like it feels so good it shows up in our lives so much and we no, we should be doing it from just an overall health perspective. So I can't say that I've like really answered that question in full, but I, I definitely have some more pieces to the puzzle. Um, I ended up attending NC State for my PhD, working underneath Dr. Jenny Burnett in the mindset lab. Um, going into my PhD program, I had no idea the, the point of, I, everyone throws around the word mindset. I didn't know that there was some real science behind it. So I did not go looking for mindset and that's kind of what I fell into. So I spent um, my nearly five years in my PhD program studying the research um, and doing the research myself on growth versus fixed mindset and how that shows up in behavior change specific to um, health and fitness. So I was looking at, you know, how does our mindset play a role in how often we exercise or how healthy we eat? And at this time, I was also kind of like side hustling nutrition coaching. Um, you don't make a lot of money being a PhD student. So that was a nice little extra income and also was very cool to be able to do something that I love and also get paid for it. Like that was amazing. Um, so was kind of in, I like to say in the lab and in the wild at the same time. So learning all of these sort of things about behavior change and mindset and how that plays a role um, in our health and fitness behaviors. And then also helping people one-on-one -on -one to do that in their own lives as well so that's how I kind of like came into this world I like I said I kind of like fell into it to some degree a lot of it coming from just like my own personal experience and they say that about researchers you know it's never just research it's often like me search <laughs> so um, fell into it mostly because that's where my interests and passions really were lying at the time um, and at that point you know to kind of like summarize here at finishing my PhD, what most people do 
is take that PhD and go teach or do more research in an academic setting. Like that is the normal traditional path. I had always not really seen myself as a professor. I wasn't really sure I wanted to continue to do academic research, um, but was open to it. The other option is the more or less like less conventional route really. And that is to do research sort of in industry land. So for me, what that would look like, it'd be really cool to, you know, go work for Nike or go work for Fitbit on their behavior change team and be doing that kind of work. So I did start to lean towards that a little bit more, started looking for jobs, um, did have some pretty cool interviews at some very powerful companies just like that. Um, and kind of got the corporate runaround, never really fully landed the full job offer after, you know, many, many interviews, lots of traveling and, and things like that. And I got very frustrated already with the corporate world. And at this point, you know, I'd never really worked a nine to five before and really enjoyed my freedom and independence in my schedule and, and that sort of thing. So I was frustrated. And I also had this sort of side hustle business that I'd never really given any attention before because I my full attention was on my PhD and kind of decided to make the leap into that into self-employment entrepreneurship the whole thing you know my fallback was I still have a PhD so if I needed to go you know teach at a local like community college I can always do that um so I dove head first into that um and I'm about a year and a half in at this point so you know pandemic showed up right after I decided to do this, which is perfect. Um, but things went really well. The, my first year of business like blew me out of the water, to be honest. Um, and it's been amazing to be my own boss and set my own schedule and continue to combine these passions of mine with psychology, behavior change, and health and fitness. So that's kind of kind of it. I love so much of that. That was amazing. And I want to kind of come way back to something you said in the beginning is this is something that I've been working on kind of in the background and most people don't know about this, but trying to find a bridge between the benefits that can be achieved in exercise and how you can directly take that and apply it into your external life. And, and love to have mm. you kind of dive into that. So my um, paradigm is like, when I'm, in when I'm in exercise, when I'm in the gym, I have this intentionally curated opportunity to elicit a challenge to, to uh, intentionally curate obstacles, basically, right? So I can, I can, I think, start to develop character attributes within my exercise. There's only one other guy that I've ever come across that's doing this research. And I was like, I think we should be creating a program that teaches people how to not only just exercise for the physical benefit, but to exercise for the mental benefit. Is that something you've looked into at all? It's like, you know, you're saying, you're saying all these benefits that come out of exercise. Mm -hmm. um, I'd love to have you just kind of draw the gap or, or draw the correlation or bridge the gap there between, hey, exercise obviously has all these physical, physiological benefits, but yep. What have you seen as far as research or your personal experience as far as the psychological benefits of exercise? Yeah. Oh, that's such a good question. The problem with podcasts is I always get on and I'm like, and now I want to go back to academia and do more research. Totally. <laughs> like, oh, uh, wouldn't it be cool to see? I think if, about like, it actually, every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. If, <laughs> yeah, if going, you know, if we could figure out that, and this is my, like putting my mindset researcher cap on that, you know, strength training for women. And I really wanted to do work on strength training for women during my PhD and just like, the timeline didn't work out. But um, if strength training for women actually led to a stronger growth mindset in whether it's health and fitness or other areas, because we know that growth mindset is amazing for achieving success. So, and I, I could see it, I could see it being there, but like, totally. of course we don't, we don't have the data. Right. Um, so 
with that said, I didn't do any like specific, okay, here's what exercise can do for your life. We see those connections. We see, we have correlate, even correlational data, those relationships um, are significant. I didn't specifically do anything like that. I think a lot of it is like at face value, we get it. And how many times have you heard a story like mine, you know, where it's like, oh, I dove into health and fitness and got really dedicated to that and fell in love with it. And like other parts of my life started. Everything fall else into falls place. into place. That's right. Right. Exactly. So I do think it's a little bit of like just proving to yourself that you can do it. So from a mindset perspective, and that sort of like being my realm of research, it makes sense to me because you're kind of giving yourself the evidence that, hey, you can change. And especially when it comes to strength training, right? Like you can change your entire body composition. So if you can kind of prove to yourself that you can do that in the gym, it may open up the doors to thinking like, maybe I can change in other areas of right. my life too. It's this, it's idea of like, what happens when it gets hard, right? Or what happens when you don't want to do it? And what happens? So it's like, it's, it's, I think it's kind of inculcating personality traits. It's like, hey, when I know something is going to be really hard, I either step in or I avoid it, right? And, and I think exercise is this beautiful opportunity to just tell yourself, hey, I can do this. I'm going to be safe. I may not be perfect, but I'm going to try, right? And then it, yeah. and that becomes this like snowball effect of, of gaining momentum. Like, oh, I just get used to stepping into these challenges that maybe in the past I would have thought I was going to fail on. I think it has to translate into the rest of your life. And, and this is something I teach in all my coaching. Like, I think it's, I think it's massive, right? Use exercise as your greatest opportunity to become the best version of yourself. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And something you mentioned there is, is really important from a mindset perspective. So when stuff gets tough, what do you do? Do you mm. throw in the towel? Do you assume like it is like a personality flaw? There's something about you that doesn't allow you to do this. You know, I've tried all of the things and nothing seems to work for me. It must just be a me thing. All of those thoughts and kind of actions that maybe come from it are related to having a fixed mindset. And we know from countless, countless studies in tons of different domains that having a fixed mindset is going to lead to less success overall. Instead, you know, seeing, and this is what, again, kind of comes back to like maybe proving it to yourself in the gym, in a exercise setting, um, strength training or otherwise, maybe you run a marathon or do something like that. That kind of shows you when things get hard, you know, when you're training for that marathon, when you don't want to go to the gym, you don't have the motivation, you still go anyway, that is growth mindset at its like kind of core, just like going and doing it regardless, because you know, something will come from it. So even if it may be difficult, even if it means you might ultimately still fail, you're still going to go and try to do it because you think that there might be a chance that you could change or that you will be successful. So that kind of like breaks down a really great example of growth versus fixed mindset. So this is where I'm saying like, I could really see, you know, where exercise and people who Kind of adopt that into their lives that that could help them achieve more of a growth mindset so with that said you know it's an important caveat here is that mindset is domain specific so that doesn't mean that having a growth mindset in exercise so you're like oh yeah for sure like i know that i can get better at that doesn't necessarily translate to oh i will have a growth mindset in my career um that said you can understand this, like what I was saying before, the more you provide evidence to yourself, the more you create those connections in your brain that like you can change. And the more you just like to not be like super cliche here, but believe in yourself, it makes sense that it, some of it could translate, right? And I'm saying like, I had a real world example where I feel like it translated and I see it all the time in clients where it translates. Um, but we don't have specific research on that yet that like, oh, growth mindset here means you're more likely to have a growth mindset there. Um, so with that said, you can absolutely, you know, have a fixed mindset in one area and a growth mindset in the other. And I think that that is a big 
not necessarily like flaw, but I guess just like misinterpretation of mindset in general from people who aren't mindset researchers, which mm. there truly aren't that many of us mm. um, out there, you know, social media posts and things like that. It's like, oh, have a growth mindset or don't. And it's, it's not necessarily how it works. And the problem with that is that when people start to feel like they maybe do have a growth mindset in one area, but somewhere else just isn't feeling the same, then they beat themselves up for that. Like, oh, but I thought, you know, I had this, maybe I don't. And then we very quickly find ourselves in fixed mindset land again, because we assume, you know, it should be just showing up everywhere now. Right. Sorry, that was a little bit of a tangent. No, but. that's perfect. I don't <laughs> want to assume that the audience is really well um, informed with respect to the definitions of fixed and growth mindset. So, um, you know, to my understanding, it's a concept that was kind of popularized by Carol Dweck in the book Mindset, yep. which yep. is an amazing book everyone should read. Um, but I'd love to have you just kind of define it for the listeners so they can just have a really solid understanding. Yeah, definitely. And Carol is actually a very close colleague of my PhD advisor. So I kind of like almost kind of assume that she's like my my academic grandmother <laughs> in some way. It's a lot of the very, very same concepts. Um, so with that said, at a very baseline level, your mindset is essentially the lens that you take to see the world with. It's how you assign meaning thing to things or you find interest or disinterest in something. Like a lot of that's coming just from like your mindset at a very basic level. And then we can kind of break it down into these two different categories, fixed versus growth. And yes, that was mostly popular popularized um, by Dr. Carol Dweck. And her work kind of started a lot in academics and mindset about intelligence and how this helps younger people. Um, so with that said, having a fixed mindset is essentially at a very basic level, believing that you can't change, can't change a certain ability, a skill, a trait, something about yourself. Having a growth mindset, you believe, yes, I can change those things. I can get better at those things. I can improve. Um, of course, there is, it does kind of fall on a continuum. Most people are not 100% fixed or 100% growth mindset. Um, and as I mentioned, it can be different depending on the area too. So there's definitely sort of like a, a gray, gray area, just like there is with most things. Um, so with that said, a few kind of components that I like to point out, because some people still hear that and they're like, okay, well, I, I think I can change. So I must have a growth mindset. You know, it's still, it's a little bit too basic <laughs> to that degree. So a couple of things I like to share are feedback, setbacks, and success. So if you're receiving feedback from someone, whether it's a significant other, it's your boss, it's your friend, how do you see yourself responding to those things? Someone with a fixed mindset is typically a little bit more defensive. They might feel personally attacked by that feedback. Um, they may feel like, oh, like there's, there's, there's no way that I actually do that or don't really fully take it into account versus someone with a growth mindset would see the feedback as like, cool, this is information so I can improve and going forward, I can be better. And I, I'm really grateful for this person for sharing these things. And of course it can be, it can be hard sometimes, but having a growth mindset typically is not like the easy way out. Um, so discomfort breeds growth type of situation. Um, and the next one is setbacks. So when you have some sort of setbacks and we kind of like already alluded to this a little bit, you have, um, a setback to like your health and fitness goal or whatever it may be. How do you respond to that? Someone with a fixed mindset would ultimately think like, Oh, here I go again. You know, I always do this here's like what always happens to me and I can never do it the right way. Something about me, you know, kind of those setbacks are almost like evidence in the wrong direction. And we were talking about evidence for things before evidence in the wrong direction and negative direction that like, Oh, this means that I'm just like, must not be cut out for it or something like that. And you can see where that would 
ultimately lead to people throwing in the towel more often than not. Um, versus someone with a growth mindset maybe has a step back and they see it as like, okay, that didn't work. Got to shift strategies, got to adjust, got to reroute, got to try something different, see what works better for me. Now I know that that doesn't work. So maybe something else will. Um, so kind of seeing that as information going forward and how to better improve yourself, similar to um, how you might respond to feedback. And the last one is success. And this is success, not of yourself, but how you view the success of other people. So someone with a fixed mindset might be, you know, scrolling through Instagram and seeing someone from high school who lost a bunch of weight. She looks fantastic. Looks like she has her life going for her. And you might be scrolling through and not and feel pretty much the opposite. So what is your like reaction to that, to seeing the the success of someone else who maybe is, yeah, very much so in line, same age group as you, like kind of like similar upbringing. How do you feel? Someone with a fixed mindset might immediately be very jealous. And this is interesting because when I talk about this specifically, that like jealousy is often kind of showcasing your growth, or your fixed mindset, rather, people are like, whoa, really? Because I definitely do that all the time. So it is important to try to recognize where your fixed mindset does show up. So you might be jealous. You might assume like, oh, that's because she has something that I don't. Or, you know, the whole like, well, she just must have gotten lucky. There's no way she put effort in, right? She just got it. Um, versus someone with a growth mindset might be like, damn, good for her. <laughs> that's awesome. If she can do it, certainly I can do it. Like, we're not that different, to be honest. I wonder if maybe I should ask her how she got to where she got to. And if there's any tips or advice that she could give to me that I could try out for myself. So someone with a growth mindset would see that more as like inspirational. Someone with a fixed mindset would see it as like detrimental um, to themselves personally. So those are kind of a few big ones I like to point out because I think sharing like, oh, and basically growth versus fixed mindset is all about whether or not you think you can change. But in the moment when you are feeling like you are having a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset, it can look like a very specific way. A lot of times people don't even know how to look for it. Beautiful. So one of the things I like to provide the audience is, is what I call a wedge for behavior change. And so an example of a wedge is like something you just stick in between the thought and the behavior and the response, right? So a wedge, for example, would be, um, oh, I see this person with this beautiful car, uh, where my normal reaction may be, um, you know, uh, I'm jealous of them. I, I, I'm looking for some um, behavior or psychological response that you may suggest people kind of interject to prevent mm. that uh, expression. So an example would be, I don't have that yet, right? So that would be just one example of, of you know, what I'm looking for is some bridge to help people who currently identify as having a fixed mindset who want to ultimately uh, create some process to work toward a growth mindset. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. I love the idea of the wedge and it works that something like that works. An analogy um, works really well when it comes to just like habit change too, which all kind of wraps itself up in behavior change too. Is like, yeah. we need to drive the wedge in like some sort of like pattern or behavior that we're doing. So we can like bring ultimately bring more awareness to it in order to change. So when you ask about, you know, maybe moving from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset, or how do we just like cultivate more of a growth mindset? What could that like wedge maybe look like? The first, first thing I always say is don't even try to change anything yet. I think we're so quick to being like, oh man, like they might, someone might be listening to this and say like, yep, that's me. I need to go change this now. What do I do? Like, give me, give me the how-to steps, right? But in reality, as, and I kind of 
kind of alluded to this too, is that we don't always really know like what needs changing or what needs improving. So you can't expect to change or improve what you don't even know is there in the first place. So very, very first step is just to build more awareness around these things, which is why I provided those examples of, you know, setbacks, feedback, success. There's a whole host of other ones we could run through. Um, but the idea with that is like, how do we find sometime in our life when we are expressing that fixed mindset, where is it coming from? What was the trigger? You know, was it a person, a situation, a feeling like what caused us to have that thought in the first place? How does it then, you know, after the fact show up in areas of our life? You know, how do we go about the day after that? Like, how does it affect our mood? Like our decisions, things like that. So instead of just being like, I need to change because I get it. I totally do. As soon as you might realize something in yourself, I mean, I do the same thing. I'm like, Oh, I feel like I have, you know, maybe this like traumatic experience from my past that is like showing up in my life. Therapy sessions, I want two a week, you know, give me all the exercises, I get it. You want to change, you want to figure it out. You want to get to the bottom of it. And maybe it is just me because, you know, researcher at heart, but um, you once you realize it, you're like, okay, what do I do next? And next is honestly to kind of like slow down, not speed up and to start to pay attention to where it's showing up in the first place. So. It does work as a wedge to some degree still because you are inserting awareness and presence into an area where there wasn't any before. And sometimes just doing that alone is enough to start the change process. So I'm saying over here, you know, don't, don't change just yet. Um, but that in and of itself can start the change process because now you're really realizing where these things are showing up and why. And if you didn't know that before, like that is really, really important information moving forward. Two things that come up for me while we're talking about this fixed mindset and growth mindset are identities and behaviors. So we all have these, per sorry, not behavior, but beliefs. We all have these personal identities and beliefs that ultimately form our worldview. I'd love to have you maybe draw a, a correlation between how they all fit together. So we have um, as I said, I mean, you could add other uh, other things in there as well, but the things that come up for me are identity, beliefs, and how does that tie into whether or not someone will have a fixed versus growth mindset? Mm -hmm, definitely. Um, so we actually do have research on this, and this is some of the research I did myself. So great question. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, yeah. So this sort of connects back to um, a very, very long standing theory of motivation and like why people change or don't change. And it's called expectancy value theory. So essentially, I mean, by the name, right? what we expect from something or like expectations for the outcome or how it's going to make us feel and how we value something and identify with something is probably going to play a pretty large role in whether or not we end up actually doing it or pursuing it or being successful. So a lot of the work that's done is kind of tried to tie mindset to these like health and fitness behaviors, other behaviors, you know, um, mindset like kind of is everywhere, whether it's entrepreneurship, like business realm or relationships or whatever. So we're always trying to figure out like, okay, having a growth mindset imp usually improves these things, but why? Like what's going on here? It can't just be like, turn on the growth mindset and you're good to go. There's usually some sort of, and what we call them in the literature and the research is mediators, right? Those variables in between that are somehow ultimately kind of leading to that change. So bringing in expectancy value theory into mindset theory, what we find, especially, and this is something, um, a, a study that I did when I was still in school, um, is that yes, mindset can determine 
how often you exercise. But like I said, it's not just turn on the mindset and you're at the gym. Like that's not necessarily how it works. So what else is going on here? What other mechanisms are sort of in between? And that's where expectancy value theory comes in. So what we see is that expectations for um, the outcome, like what you think it's going to do for you. Also, you, how much you value the utility in exercise, um, how much you identify, um, like fitness identity, I believe was even the, the variable that I used. Once you identify as an exerciser, all of those things and self-efficacy, you know, your ability to work, continue to work towards things um, in the face of setbacks, all of those things are what leads to more exercise and it's the growth mindset that's sort of turning those things up. So that's sort of like the connection there. So we have growth mindset about health and fitness leads to us feeling like we have maybe a stronger identity to exercise. We expect more from exercise. It's sort of like you're kind of like trusting the outcome of exercise, like putting that time and effort in. Uh, we have a, a more ability to work through barriers and obstacles on the way to our health and fitness goals, all because of that growth mindset. But it's all that stuff in the middle that I just mentioned is what actually leads to the behavior change. So that's what's really cool. Um, it's not necessarily like a direct, like I said, growth mindset to more exercise process. So a lot of other stuff kind of going on in between. So I love that you asked that question because it is really important. And could we say, you know, oh, is it maybe identifying as an exerciser or identifying as someone who is like interested in health and fitness maybe leads to the growth mindset and not the other way around? Sure, absolutely. Like that could be a thing. Also don't have any research on that. Also would love to go back and do that. <laughs> but um, yes, that makes sense too. But what's important here is that sort of like, the A to B to C, right? So A being mindset, B being all of these kind of expectation, value, identity sort of variables, and C being the actual increase in behavior. And that is how that path kind of looks. So someone doesn't currently identify as these ideal behaviors or these, or these ideal uh, identities, mm -hmm. what's the first step? Is it, um, yeah, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. What is the first step, right? Is it is it writing it down? Is it is it uh, it, you know, affirmations? Is it just like starting mm -hmm. to say, hey, I'm, I'm now I'm, I'm going to become this person? Is it setting the goal? What are, what are your beliefs as far as what the first steps in action are? Yeah, so I actually have kind of a, a different perspective on this being like from the mindset realm. Um, I don't like trying to get people to I need to figure out the best way to say this, but trying to get people to see it as like, I have to be a type of person mm -hmm. to do this. Right. Um, I think that sometimes that can be more detrim detrimental than like actually beneficial because then what mm -hmm. we turn this into is, oh, like I have to be a certain person in order to be successful. And in reality, like I think we all know, like, okay, yes, the idea here is that you're building these habits, behaviors, lifestyle that makes you this type of person, but no one is born a certain way to do these things, right? And I think inherently this idea of like, you are the type of person or you aren't is a very like sort of almost like inborn trait way to look at things. Um, whether or not it's, we're seeing that directly, I think, you know, people scroll through Instagram, they see, you know, the hashtag Fitzbo girls with their matching Gymshark gym outfits and, and think like, oh, she's the type of person who is able to live a healthy and fit lifestyle. And I'm over here as a mom of three children and I have three dogs and you know, we're all working from home these days. And it's like, I just can't be that person. So what happens is fixed mindset crops up of like, well, I'm not her, I'm not that type of person. So then 
I'm never going to be able to do this. That's the, that's my fear of the whole, like, oh, try to be, just try to be that type of person. I think if you take it a different direction and think like, how do I be my, my best self? Or like, what is the most ideal scenario for me? You know, where do my current values and priorities lie? And what do I actually want them to look like? Like, those are more beneficial, productive exercise exercises than, you know, assuming that you have to be like, yeah, you're just that person or you're not. I love that. Something that came up is just even in the words you use, like um, wanting to versus having to, I think that's a big one, you know, with respect to this identity I'm trying to identify as is like, I want to become more like this person, right? So um, one thing that comes up for me there when you say that is process versus outcome goals. So maybe wanting to be someone who who identifies as an exerciser just looks like, hey, I'm just going to choose because I want to, to exercise once a day or to eat well every day as just like a daily objective. So I'm being attached to the process rather than the outcome. Is that something you've ever mm-hmm. looked at? Yeah, definitely. I think that's a that's a big piece in um, mindset in general and growth mindset is this idea of like, oh, just focus on the process instead of always focusing, focusing on mm-hmm. the outcome. Like that's, it's a, it's a part of it, but it's not all of it for sure. So um, it's important. And I think we also know this from just like at face value, like if we're always, you know, focusing on that outcome all of the time, that thing that we really want, the thing that we really want to achieve, it does make it harder on a day-to-day process to do all of like the little shit basically mm-hmm. <laughs> that is required of you to get there. So that makes sense to me. Um, there's actually to not like go too far off um, on a tangent here. There's some research on sub goals, which is this idea of setting these sort of like smaller goals along the way to a larger outcome. And the research is relatively mixed on whether or not you should set this like long-term outcome and, you know, put it on the, it's like your phone screen background. You're putting sticky notes everywhere. Like always reminding yourself of that long-term thing, which is things we hear a lot, right? Like, oh, like just put it somewhere. So you always like think about it. research is relatively mixed and how that can be somewhat like deceiving because it is like maybe so far away. And if you're always thinking about it, you just like get sick of working towards it and not feeling like you're making significant progress. That can be an issue. But on the flip side, it's, oh, that you're kind of keeping this top of mind. So it's, it's always sort of salient, no matter like what decisions you make, things that you do, that's part of like your thought process. So because the research is mixed, like it's good, it's bad. What we actually found more recently, um, and this was, I can't remember the year that this paper came out, but um, they essentially looked at this and was like, what's going on here? Are like, should we set smaller goals? Should we focus on the long-term outcome goal? What the heck? Um, And what they found was that near the beginning, it is important to set those sub goals as they call them. So set smaller term, shorter term goals first. And as you start to approach, you know, kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel situation, then you can focus on the light at the end of the tunnel. And that's what's going to kind of help you keep pushing forward because you're like almost there type of thing. Um, So it's a little bit of both. So with that said, you know, when it comes to this idea of like moving towards like more identity or just like trying to keep up with doing these things on a day-to-day basis, I think setting those smaller goals first is important. And then maybe as you start to approach that long-term goal, that's when you should focus it on it more. Of course, there's always going to be outliers. People are always going to be different. And like this research isn't like a rule by any means, um, but that is an interesting component that kind of comes up with that. Something that's coming up again now for me is is un- the unconscious and how much the unconscious kind of uh, melds into everything we do. And um, if there's some tactics or strategies that you've come across to help people start to influence their unconscious 
belief systems. So I guess it's all kind of tying into what we already talked about, but yeah. maybe using that specific terminology and saying like, you know, all these things are running in the background of our unconscious. How do we make these things conscious? And then maybe find the best strategy to, to start to alter the unconscious. Mm, yeah, that's good because we do have some core beliefs that are there. Like, what was my example before? It's like, oh, I have this like traumatic event in my past that I thought was doing nothing. And maybe, maybe it is, you know, yeah. so now I want to like uncover that and like figure that out more. So um, we all have like kind of these unconscious belief systems um, about our world, about why we do things the way we do, about the way things should be or shouldn't be. And a lot of times we don't even know that it's influencing us. So very similar to maybe you want to change your mindset to be more growth oriented, you first need to start paying attention. So when you like have maybe some negative thought processes like show up, when you find yourself kind of catastrophizing or things of that nature, instead of just being like, oh, that didn't feel good <laughs> and, and move along, it's again, uncomfortable, but this whole discomfort breeds growth thing continues to ring true, um, to actually sit with those feelings and think about like, why am I feeling this way? And then from there, um, they actually call this like, I, I say they, I have no idea where this actually came from, <laughs> those people out there, um, this idea of like the five whys. So it's like you kind of work down the, the system here. So why do I feel this way? Oh, well, because I, I haven't had any success in the past. Okay, well, why is that? Well, I have only tried things that maybe are like quick fixes or maybe don't really fit my lifestyle. Oh, well, why is that? Well, maybe that's because I don't think that I can handle doing anything else and actually changing my lifestyle scares me. Okay, well, why is that? And you can see where this just gets deeper and deeper and deeper until you maybe recognize some of these like kind of not feeling good, kind of crappy core beliefs that are driving all of this of feelings of, well, I'm not worthy of a healthy and fit lifestyle. Or I, again, I am just not the type of person to make those massive changes in my life. And here now you have something you can really, really work with versus, you know, oh, this is just like not working for me. That's gonna get you, that's surface level, right? We need to go deeper. Um, so that's important. Um, there's actually, it's called the vertical arrow technique, I believe. Um, and it's the same kind of idea where it's like, when you have this thought, it's like, okay, well, what does that mean? And then when you have that thought, like of what that original thought means. Now, what does that thought mean? You kind of just like work your way down this like vertical arrow um, to kind of reach more of these core beliefs. So yes, these are like kind of sit down, maybe journal exercises. They could just be, you know, think to yourself type of things. But the more often you do it, even if it's just a little bit in these situations, the more you can kind of change some of that like software in your brain and kind of start to change those connections. So from like kind of like a neuroscientific perspective, our brains are always changing. So the more you do this, just like learning any other skill, the easier it'll get, the more accessible it'll be, and the more you can maybe start to address some of those core beliefs. But you can't do any of that without recognizing what they are, understanding where they're coming from in the first place, dealing with some of those negative thought patterns, trying to maybe figure out, you know, this is coming from cognitive behavioral therapy, deciding, you know, like when you have that negative thought process or you're seeing it a certain some, something a certain way that doesn't feel right and you know you're just like spiraling or whatever it may be to think, okay, well, what's the evidence for that thought that I'm thinking this way, that I think that this is what the outcome is going to be? Like, what evidence do I actually have for that? You're going to have some, otherwise you wouldn't 
be thinking it in the first place. And then also on the flip side, what is the evidence against those thoughts? You know, what makes them not true or like not necessarily like the most like likely outcome. And then taking together the evidence for, the evidence against, start to create some sort of thought that is just more accurate and more realistic. So taking that like, okay, so sure, I may be feeling this way because this happened to me before and I had this previous experience, but that doesn't necessarily mean that now, because now it's entirely different. I'm living a different life. I'm working with a coach now. I wasn't before, like all of these things. Now you can, now maybe things can be different. And just even walking through that process, I did, did that example and I feel better, <laughs> you know? So walking through that can be really beneficial in and of itself, but also can help you identify some of those maybe core beliefs where things are coming from and just go through that practice, go through the motions of identifying like, why are these thoughts here? Instead of just letting them sit there and fester and turn into like more like gremlin thoughts that you don't want. <laughs> Have you explored the um, psychosomatic interplay? I'm very interested in, in the um, influence, I guess, on the body's influence on the mind and, and obviously the two-way interplay. Have you explored that at all? Um, not personally. I know that there is some very, very cool research out there. And this is kind of like my favorite area to learn more about because I think so often we hear mindset or we hear, yeah, growth versus fixed mindset and behavior change and all these things. And it feels a little bit like woo woo and not like real science. So when I get to be like, but here's what it does to your hormones or here's like the the molecules that are being released from your muscles when you exercise it's like whoa like finally we get to bring in like quote unquote real science to this sort of like woo-woo science and i'm over here like look i got a phd in the woo-woo science i'm pretty sure it's real science too but um forever will be a little bit salty and arguing that direction but um so yeah the one thing that i just brought up now um i know when we exercise when we contract our muscles you're releasing myokines which are what we call what we call um, researchers often call like hope molecules because they make you feel better. Um, they make you feel like you can, I don't know, take on the world or, or something like that. Whatever the feeling, feelings are going to be different depending on the person. But that's a really cool example of direct like body to like feelings connection. Um, we also know like stress is a really, really good example of connecting sort of the body to the mind, right? I'm sure you know plenty about how all of this works, you know. Stress is 110% perceived. We decide what is stressful as much as it feels like, yeah, like if you get in a car accident, it's likely gonna be stressful, right? But at the end of the day, like you're still the one deciding that it is stressful. Of course, you would probably have to be some sort of like sociopath to be like, oh yeah, this is no big deal. I'm not stressed at all. Um, but you're still making the decision ultimately. So with that, you're making the decision, you're deciding that this is stressful but your body is reacting as if like you are in a, in a stressful situation. You know, you have your cortisol increase, things of that nature, the whole idea of this fight or flight response. Like we are creating the fight or flight response. You know, we're not being chased by saber tooth tigers like, <laughs> like we used to. Yeah. Like we are actually deciding that that's what's gonna happen. And I know easier said than done, but we can be more in control of the parasympathetic response, you know, the rest and digest, the pause and plan response. Um, so that is a beautiful example of how things show up in your body because of what you are perceiving out in the world. Um, and there's a lot of other examples of that too, you know, when it comes to mindset research around like whether we think a milkshake is high calorie or low calorie, it can actually alter our ghrelin responses, our hunger hormones, things of that nature. So there's 
a lot of that out there. And like I said, it's my favorite thing to kind of like share with people because I'm like, look, see, it is real science. (laughs) That was really cool research. I remember seeing that. And also a guest on the show previously, Dr. Rick Hansen, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, gave a great metaphor in his book, Buddha's Brain. It's the first dart and the second dart, right? The first dart is the event itself. The second dart is our perception and reaction to it. And he's, you know, there's so much data he says that Mm. shows the second dart as being exponentially worse. And it's the one we hang on to. It's the one we put meaning on. Um, And that ultimately is causing the, the stress cascade that's hurting everyone. So good. That was a framing that really helped me understand and and help people understand how to kind of work through it. Yeah. I love that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Awesome. So what are the things that we're missing when it comes to behavior change? So, you know, people are reading books, people are saying, Hey, I want to change my behavior. Uh, What are the things that either uh, society as a whole that don't really understand, or maybe in our conversation today that like, Hey, we should probably look at this. Oh man go so many directions with it (laughs) when we're um when we're looking at you know the health and fitness coaching world i can i would just like more broadly be like we're missing the whole freaking thing (laughs) we are missing the importance of mindset and behavior change when we are coaching coaches you know like nasm is out there with their certification and i like nothing against nasm they actually um are supporters of my program and provide continuing education units so nothing there but you know we just have these massive governing bodies of um, exercise, training, nutrition kind of certifications that are going out and providing education to coaches. And I totally get it. You know, they have to essentially give you a very broad lay of the land here. Like here's all of the things you end up kind of skipping over behavior change mindset. I know like precision, precision nutrition is doing a little bit of a better job kind of introducing more of the behavior change process. I think a lot of it is that they're like level two versus like their, their kind of baseline level one certification. Um, but regardless, I think, and also it's like, what is like a little bit sexier, I guess, too, for new coaches is to learn about metabolism, to learn about physiology, to learn about hormones, you know, the Krebs cycle, all these things, which don't get me wrong, all very, very important to learn as well. But you're not going to get very far if you don't understand how to communicate with clients, if you don't understand the basics of behavior change in psychology and mindset, which is exactly why I created the health mindset coaching certification is because I saw just like this massive gap. It's like, yes, it is so cool to go learn about all of that other like higher level stuff and be able to help your clients who maybe present with PCOS symptoms or something like that. But at the end of the day, you can know all of that stuff. And if you don't know how to properly communicate and understand how to actually help them work through the change process, you're going to run into a wall over and over and over again. Um, So the way that I describe some of this stuff, you know, is that it's, you can have all the education in the world and you should like, definitely, I'm going to a conference this this weekend to learn more about this stuff. Um, You should absolutely continue to do that, but also understand that getting more of that stuff isn't necessarily going to help you with your clients if you're working with them in a one-on-one setting. Um, So I think it's, it's different, you know, there's different coaches out there with different clientele. A lot of times, you know, the bodybuilding community, they are very just like short emails back, like here are your protocols, just execute. And that's fine. And that, that works because it's, it's a short term thing. It's different when you're working with folks who maybe are really wanting to start to introduce this stuff into their lives and maybe try to keep it around for more than just like a 20 week prep or whatever it may be. Um, it requires a lot more and it requires a lot more, I wanna say like emotion from the coach. Like you have to be a lot more invested sort of emotionally and ask the tougher questions. Like I even had someone um, in my program this week say like, my problem is not that I 
am not learning from the program how to like implement this stuff and ask the right questions. It's that I don't really want to ask the question because I don't want to have to like deal with the answer and the burden of that stuff because it gets, it does get heavy. And this is why we hear all the time that health and fitness coaches are not just health and fitness coaches. We're essentially life coaches, right? Because everyone's life is what kind of makes up whether or not they are able to be successful with their new health and fitness goals or transforming their lives in some sort of health and fitness manner. So we end up, yes, talking about their families, their relationships, their kids, their jobs, like their extracurricular activities, all of that stuff. And so other things do come up and we want them to come up because we need to know in order to best help them. Um, Yeah, I could, I mean, I could go on and on about how important this stuff is. (laughs) Yeah, and what do you think is at the root of people breaking down in not following through with behavior change? Like, so is it, you know, personal identity? Is it uh, inadequacy? Is it fear? Is, you know, is it all of them? Is it, you know, what in your experience, what's at the root of people who, you know, obviously both ends of it, right? People who succeed versus people who don't. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's a lot of things. Like we definitely can't single things out. And this is even like going back to like some very long standing theories of behavior change that we have, you know, there's, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of studies that have now created this overall theory, like I was mentioning with expectancy value theory, you know, so how people expect their outcomes to look or what they're expecting to get from this behavior um, and how much they actually value it will determine whether or not they decide to actually do it. Um, So we have like even larger standing theories, things like, um, for instance, the social cognitive model, like SCT. Um, is a big one. And this is kind of sort of this triangle of your environment, your cognitions, and your behavior. So all of those things kind of play a role in whether or not you're going to change. So that can mean cognitions being like your mindset. So do you have a fixed mindset about your ability to change? Like, what do you think about like the your past experiences um, when you were, you know, maybe growing up? And this kind of leads into like, environment and social pieces too like was your mom always dieting and failing like what did that look like um and of course we can talk like greater you know socioeconomic economic status and like where you live and like what you have access to like everything matters (laughs) which is what makes it hard but also really really important to keep in mind that as health and fitness coaches sure you're not a therapist you know you're not a social worker um but you need to keep that stuff in mind too and it it kind of take yourself out of just like your coach shoes where it's like this maybe is your your lifestyle and you don't cannot fathom how it could be so hard to just get 20 more grams of protein on a day-to-day basis but all of this other stuff is at play cognitions their their current behaviors their past behaviors their family their social life like where they live and what they have access to like it all matters um and i think that that speaking of things that are often skipped over you know like the pieces of behavior change that we may get from some of these like larger certifications definitely don't tap into a lot of this stuff is it possible to change someone's perceived value of the outcome so kind of increasing their expectancy value yeah, definitely. There's actually another model, um, I think it was from like the 1950s or 60s. It's called the health belief model. And instead of explaining how people change, it is more or less like a why people change type of theory. Like why would they do it in the or not do it in the first place? Um, so this model goes into, it's not kind of, here's the thing, all of these theories often have a lot of overlapping variables or ideas because they have been kind of decided in the research that they are important. So it makes Mm -hmm. sense. Um, So this is not expectancy value theory. However, there is a little bit of that, like 
perception piece in here. So this was actually originally created to figure out why or why not someone might get an HIV test. So this health belief model, um, and it starts, I'm going to try to like, like trying to picture the model in my head. Um, it starts with like personal characteristics, de demographics, things like that kind of like come into the model. And then after that, it's your perceived benefits or perceived barriers, perceived um, consequences, all of severity, things like that. So all of those perceptions about what may happen if you do or do not do this plays a role. And then that kind of like leads into ultimately whether or not you're actually going to do the thing, whether that is yes, getting an HIV test or going to the gym or working, hiring a coach, like working to change your healthy, your, your lifestyle for the health and fitness, um, whatever that may be. So yes, what we know is that this is important, right? It's important whether you perceive the, you perceive more consequences versus benefits. It's important if you um, perceive that there are um, like more things to come from this than there aren't. So with that said, what, does that mean we can change those things? Like, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, that's why this model was created. It was like, yes, for HIV testing, but it can be clearly expanded into other areas because they're looking like, okay, so how do we advertise? How do we market? How do we talk to people differently so we can boost some of those like perceived benefits and bring down some of the perceived consequences or, you know, lower the perceived severity of whatever may happen to them if they, they do or don't and that sort of thing. So all of that, like, sure, that may be more on like a yeah, marketing advertising, like big, like public health promotion level, but this still matters when it comes, and this is why I teach it in the certification. It still matters when it comes to how we communicate with our clients, how we set up our programs, all of these things. Like we need to address what those perceptions look like because those are ultimately going to determine their success. And no one likes to be the coach who, you know, three months down the line, your client is pissed off because she hasn't lost enough weight. Like she's not doing like what she wants to be doing and all these things because you didn't realize that her perceptions or her expectations at the beginning were that because you didn't ask, like basically ask more questions and do less like prescribing and telling that's like such a huge component of all of this when it comes to helping someone with behavior change. That's awesome. One of the best um, theories of behavior change that I've come across is Dr. John Demartini. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. Mm -hmm. um, so it's the value determinant system where he has people establish their values and he finds ways to uh, attach outcomes or uh, actions toward those values. I thought that was a very uh, powerful approach. It seems to be relatively effective. Is that something you've explored at all? Um, not personally, I've definitely heard of it. Um, but it, I mean, it all makes sense. This is where they, they overlap so much, right? Because we've already talked about, yeah, expectancy and value and how that makes and makes a difference. And um, some there's an exercise that I actually give out to my coaching students in the certification um, that has actually been used in research previously. And it's the, the values and priorities sort of um, like Venn diagram thing. So not even a Venn diagram, it's like two very separate circles they are not <laughs> crossing over. Um, but the first circle is like, here, make like your, your slices of the pie where of things that you value and prioritize in your day-to-day -day life. Like, what does that look like right now? So a lot of people end up, you know, oh, well, half of it's for work and like a good chunk of it is like for family and a little bit is like health and fitness and a little bit is like self-care and things like that. And okay, now do your pie again, but what is the ideal? circle look like. So now maybe it's like, okay, work does not need to take up that much of my time. If I'm just a little bit more productive, like I definitely want to still keep a strong chunk for my family. Absolutely need to spend more time with 
self-care because that's also going to help with those other things too and my health and fitness and and that sort of thing so kind of walking through that process of like where am I at now and where do I want to go is really important too just to like make that more clear because I think we all have this idea of like I want to be healthier I want to take care of myself more I want to take time for self-care like it all sounds good and great but it's a little bit of like a false hope syndrome when we're all we're doing is thinking about it and that makes us feel good in the moment but then we don't actually end up doing it um because we need sort of like this like clear indication of like where we where we currently are to where we want to go um there's this idea of mental contrasting where you're not just always positive thinking all the time and thinking about those positive outcomes that you want but actually contrasting your current reality with where you want to go and kind of reverse engineering from there and thinking about all the bad stuff really like the barriers the obstacles the challenges the things the failures that are going to come up um so spending time doing all of those things so um there is a lot of value in understanding what your values are and your priorities, but also making sure that you're like thinking about like, okay, well, where do I want to go? Well, how is that different than what I want right now? Because everyone says like, go out in the street. Like how many people will say that they don't value their health? No one, right? Everyone's going to, at least to some degree, right. um, especially right now, I would hope so. But when you sit down and you're like, okay, like maybe we break apart that idea of health. Like where are you currently prioritizing things that you say you value so much? Um, And maybe they find not very much and they can kind of compare that to where they want to be. That's exactly where I wanted to go with that question is, is the kind of separation between what people think their values are and what they're actually expressing in their life is coming true. Right. So where are you investing your time? Where are you investing your money? Where are you investing your energy? And to me, that's an expression of your true values rather than what you say they are. And I think there's a gap there for most people, or at least in my experience, like, yeah, I really value my health or my family, but I don't put any time and money there. And you're just like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And I was wondering, uh, just you had answered it, but I was wondering what your experience was there and then how we can make people aware and how we can become aware of what their true values actually are mm-hmm. rather than what they just think they are, what they think they should be. Mm-hmm, definitely. And it is, it's like, that's the difference between a value and a priority, right? Like you can say you value something. And I think to some degree, no one's lying, right? (laughs) Like they truly do value their health, but it's like, how much do you actually value it if you're not also prioritizing it? So, and that can be a really uncomfortable discrepancy. And when, you know, we have clients who, who start to work with us and they're still, oh, well, I still want to like go out and like, get blasted with my friends on the weekends at the bars. And I still want to do like all of these things, but I really want to get healthy. I really, I'm sick of feeling tired all the time. Um, I really want to change my body composition, all of these things. It's like, okay, so we're seeing kind of like an issue here where of course you can still go and have drinks with your friends, but besides the point. Um, So identifying those discrepancies is so important, but how you do it is even more important. And that's going to depend on the client, on your relationship with the client. You know, I have clients who have been with for four years. If they come to me and they're like, I want to do X, Y, Z, and none of their actions are in alignment with those things, I will could straight up be like, what the hell is this? <laughs> you know, like what's going on here? Um, and give them a little bit more tough love versus someone who maybe I don't know very well. And I just started working with, it might be a little bit of like, hey, so what I'm hearing you say is that your goals are to do X, Y, Z. But in the last few weeks, I've been seeing a lot of actions that are sort of out of alignment with that. Like, what do you think about that? Like, what do you think about that discrepancy? And literally just leave it at that. Like, leave it a little bit more open-ended. Allow the client to come to the conclusion themselves. Build That builds autonomy. It builds self-efficacy. All these things that we know are important for behavior change. So allowing them to kind of see that for themselves and not straight up be like, 
of course, like I said, I might do that with a, with a client that I know very well. Um, but at that point, this might just be a, a, a fluke scenario. It's not necessarily because they've been working with me for so long. So, um, so yeah, kind of allowing clients to, or even yourself, you know, come to those decisions yourself and realizations yourself without having someone else tell you to kind of see like, okay, what is out of alignment here? If you feel like you're not achieving your goals in any area of life, like start to think like, what do I really, what is my goal? What do I want to be doing? And what actions am I currently taking to get there? And if there's only a couple, cool. You have those couple, what things are you doing that are kind of pushing that goal away and start to like, I mean, lay it out, write it down, right. talk to someone about it, um, make it more yeah, present and be more aware. So how do you do that? Do you do that with like a time audit? Is there some, some expression of like, Hey, tell me how you spend your time and we can kind of identify your priorities. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to do it. Um, just, yeah. Like where is the, and that's kind of like that same, the circle, um, exercise mm -hmm. that I was talking about before. Same idea is kind of like what percentage of like your day are you like prioritizing this stuff? So yeah, that's a great way to do it. I mean, you can even have them go through like your weekly schedule. Like, what does that look like? What are you doing? And it's like, okay, now, now that you have your, your weekly schedule, what that looks like, where does this fit in? Where does that fit in? Where does this other thing you want to do that you claim is something that you value? Where does that fit in? And if they go back and they're like, man, <laughs> 15 minutes here, maybe three minutes there, then it's like, okay, what, how much do you want to be doing it? You know, because at some point too, you're the coach, you're not the expert on your client's life. You can't say like, oh, I know how much family time you need, or, you know, I know how much like time you need to be spending on yourself to feel your best. Like what? First, you know, how much time do you want to be spending on those things? And then also how much time is actually truly feasible for you, like in the next week, just for the next seven days, like what seems most feasible? Um, so, you know, those might be two different answers, but it might allow them to come at some sort of like a middle ground. Like ideally, I'd like to, you know, journal every single night for 30 minutes, but in the next week, I can probably do maybe 10 minutes, two times a week. Perfect start there, you know? Um, but again, the goal here would be to, as the coach to not be saying, okay, let's journal two times a week for 10 minutes, but for the client to say, I think that this is what I want to do. That is like the secret sauce. <laughs> yeah. This question may be a little out of left field, but I'm very interested in excellence and, and, you know, so this idea of decoding excellence, I'm curious if you have any, um, theories on, from a mindset perspective, what drives excellence? Mm. Oh, that's such like a good question. Um, where my mind goes is that it's sort of like what can happen with a, like sort of the dark side of a growth mindset is always wanting to do more, always wanting to improve, always feeling like you just have like a little sliver of, you know, and I say like sometimes imposter syndrome can be a good thing if it's what helps you continue to move forward. Like just a sliver of imposter syndrome, just enough to make you feel like, Maybe though, you are just never good enough. You know, you are seeking this idea of excellence, which, you know, that definition, I mean, I would love, that would be great. You know, I could go to all my clients and be like, define what excellence means to you. And there's going to be some overlap, but everyone's going to have something different. You know, it might be, it might be doing as best as I can always given any scenario, or it might be something that I can't achieve, you know, excellence is not something that I can achieve, you know, so everyone's gonna be different there. But going back to this idea of like the growth mindset and the, um, the dark side of that sort of like double edged sword effect that we have is that the more we want to improve, the more we see like where we can improve, like, 
taking all of this stuff as like, oh, I can always do better and things of that nature. It can lead you to a place of like always seeking an excellence that you can't reach no matter what. Like right now, what my life might be the excellence that I would have thought of five years ago. But now I'm like, I am nowhere being done, <laughs> you know? So um, it's an interesting question that makes you wonder, you know, how much of a growth mindset can sometimes be too much. And we need to do a little bit of like acceptance within that too. Acceptance and self-compassion really can be the antidote to so many things, not just this, um, but allowing yourself, you know, it's like, I have um, made a post before on Instagram that talks about this idea of um, like discipline without self-compassion will just breed guilt. And it's the same thing here. It's like almost like striving for excellence without self-compassion is going to breed guilt. It's going to sometimes breed shame, which is even worse than guilt. Um, so that can be tough. And there can be a little bit of like a dark side of that. I don't know. Does it have to? <laughs> You're expecting this. No, no, no. Does it have to? So do, does pursuit yeah. of excellence have to breed guilt? Hmm. I don't think so. And I think that that's where this idea of acceptance and self-compassion need to come into play in order to not breed guilt, breed shame, all of those things. Like understanding like, hey, there's more I want to do. Like you were mentioning before, the, the power of not yet, right? There's more I want to do. I want to have that thing. I want to go this place. I want to achieve this like revenue goal for the year. Um, and, I'm, and I feel like I want to and I want to and I probably will, but just like not yet. And it's okay if I'm not there yet. It's okay. Like I can accept that like where I am is still, you know, light years ahead of where I was a decade ago and also celebrate that too. And kind of allow for that self-compassion of you're working really hard. You are doing the things that you're supposed to do. And eventually you will get there. Like there's no need to rush it and there's no need to feel bad about it right now either. And this is something that does come up a lot in the mindset literature, especially when we are you know, crafting interventions and programs to shift someone's mindset to be more growth oriented, what can come as sort of like a negative side effect is those feelings of like guilt or shame or blaming oneself because they aren't where they want to be yet. It's like, as soon as you have sort of like this enlightened moment of like, oh my God, I can change. I can do this. I'm in charge. I make the decisions. I can change. This is so cool. This is amazing. I'm ready to like, give me the how-to lists. Let's do it. But then it can also turn into, oh, I'm also then responsible for where I currently am that I want to change in the first place. You know, this especially shows up um, in health and fitness. It's like, okay, I finally realized, you know, I can lose the weight. Like I'm in charge of all of this stuff. Like I'm in charge of my life. This is so cool. I can't wait, but crap. I'm, you know, overweight. I, my cholesterol is in a terrible spot. I am not a happy person because of this, all because of me too. It's like you're responsible in both directions, right? So um, what we have to do is use what's called compensatory messaging around all of this. So this is what I was saying before, but it's not, it's about how you say it a lot of the time more than anything else. So this, there needs to be a lot of not yet in there. There needs to be a lot of, it's okay if you're not where you wanna be quite yet, that's fine. Like you're, you're, you're good where you're at right now. And like, what can we learn to just go forward and, and things like that. Otherwise we do run the risk of increasing some of these negative side effects, which unfortunately, oftentimes things like shame, especially, um, you know, body dissatisfaction, things of that nature, like blaming yourself can lead to, towards things like on the very, very sad side, 
um, depression, anxiety, all of these things are very, very much so connected in the literature. So it's a, to be careful. And it's tough because there's these messages everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> so. it, it feels like this overlap somewhere between a sense of urgency, yet state of calm, and a complete acceptance of what you're capable of doing today, right? So it's like, I don't want to, like urgency usually comes with a, a, a frantic, a hectic nature. So we don't want to have a hectic nature. So we want urgency with a state of calm. So it's almost like somewhere in that bridge of flow with like, I'm going to completely accept and be compassionate for the maximum I can get done today as being the maximum I can get done today and waking up tomorrow with the same amount of urgency to pursue and get as much done as I'm capable of while still accepting the fact that if it's not everything that I hoped for, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, accept that, right? Now, that, that feels mm -hmm. like a, a place of wisdom, right? It's certainly not something that people are going to arrive at yeah, in their early ages. Totally. It's like, yeah, it feels like a place that's a little bit, um, and you've been through some, some challenges, you've gone through some mental wars and, and struggles, and you've landed at this place of like, hey, I can still wake up every day passionate and inspired and have a sense of urgency and still love myself at the end of the day for, for working as hard as I possibly could um, and accepting what's what I've accomplished. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's a little bit of like you have to flip the script sometimes because I think a lot of times, especially with people who are maybe like overachievers or type A personalities, that sort of thing, who are just like, I want more, I want more, I want to do more, I want to do more, there's more out there for me. You wake up in the morning and the first thing you think is like, man, I didn't get enough sleep. Like, this isn't going to be good, you know? How many cups you of coffee? Get out of, <laughs> yeah, right. You get out of bed. You're like, man, this, you're already, first thing you think is like, what I just did sleeping was not good enough, you know? And then you go to bed thinking, I didn't get through my to-do list. I was not productive enough today. I shouldn't have, you know, gone to the gym, all of these things. Like, again, you literally wake up and go to bed thinking like, I haven't done enough. And maybe. that can be maybe. detrimental. Maybe, maybe, but maybe there's a system that works around that, right? When you, when you exist in that, that place long enough and you have a growth mindset, maybe you develop a system that's like, oh, I can work yeah. around this. So the system that I've come up with is, is if I have first tier priorities and second tier priorities, right? So the first tier priorities are the ones I insist on getting them done today. Those are my, those are my top values and priorities for the day. The second tier priorities are the ones I just kind of... Um, chunk away at throughout the week. And I was like, just trying to knock them off. And you go to bed and you're like, those are okay. But every day you wake up and you choose your first priorities. Yeah, consciously, you get those done. And so that's allowed me to get through this, uh, you know, what maybe some semblance of, of the high, achiever, high achievers curse, like always having yeah. to be doing things. It's like, you know, cause you realize what your high priorities are, what your high values are for the day. And hopefully you're able to get those done. You prioritize them first in the day and the other things you work through at whatever pace is possible for you. Yeah, I actually do something very similar. So I write out, you know, the three to five things. It was like, I know, and it's kind yeah. of like the, I know I can get these things done. <laughs> totally. So let's do those. Totally. And then there's like a, a couple little extras maybe. Yeah. And then I do try to set out one thing for myself, you know, and that's like, unfortunately the thing that maybe falls by the wayside if the other stuff doesn't get done, right. but it's still there. It's still like top of mind. So it's not like, oh, I have two hours at the end of the day and I'm just like going to do nothing with my time. It's like, oh, I'm going to do this thing for myself. So yeah, no, I definitely, that for absolutely you? ways are. What, what is it? What's that for you? Um, it depends on the day. Um, it may be, you know, yoga. It may be reading a book. It may be taking a bath. It may be, uh, um, 
honestly sometimes like let myself watch some trashy trashy television because I never do right. like I get like on one end tell you how many times the tv has been turned on this year right. um so yeah things like that it's just like yeah turn my brain off for a second maybe totally. um but yeah so, so that's it, that's what it looks like I, I call that something for your soul right so every day I do something oh, for yeah. my body for my mind and for my soul whatever it is right and it could be connecting with loved ones. It could be, um, you know, sitting and doing absolutely nothing in nature. It could be laying on the beach. It could be really anything, right? Whatever fills your soul that day and kind of fills your cup. So one final question for you. Um, so what has been the most inspiring um, book or literature you've come across in the last, you know, 12 to 24 months that really um, inspire you to continue to do what you do at eye level? And it could be a longer time frame if you feel that's useful, but what really pushed you? Because obviously you're, you're pursuing this with, uh, for using my terminology with excellence in mind, right? You're, you're pursuing excellence in your field and you're doing a great job. And I'm curious what drove that pursuit. Mm, oh yeah. Gosh, so many good questions. So many hard questions. Like, um, you know, you mentioned Carol's book at the beginning and I definitely want to give that another kind of like nod for sure. And I actually just read through it again. The first time I read it was in 2014 um, and read through it again for a small group program that was sort of like our book club book. And she has added to it since then. Um, and I'm hopeful, you know, the next iteration of the book will also include some of my own research. <laughs> we'll oh, wow. see. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. So I would definitely say if you have not, like that's a great place to start kind of a pretty much everything we talked about today is somehow going to show up in that book. Yeah. Um, so that's Mindset by Carol Dweck. Um, a couple of the other ones, you know, I listened to this book on, it was an audio book and it's called The Surrender Experiment. Have you heard of that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I listened to that um, recently and it is a little bit on like the woo woo side of things for sure. A little bit more like focusing on, but it's a lot about presence like being more present, listening to the voices in your head, like not like schizophrenia, mm -hmm. but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Listening, <laughs> listening to them um, and seeing where they're coming from, spending more time figuring that out. Um, I mean, this dude goes and builds a house in the woods and like meditates for like five hours a day, like not necessarily what you need to do, but sometimes it's interesting to hear from these extremes, just to like pick out and see what could happen. Cause if you're never going to try doing something like that. You might as well hear the story from someone else. Right. Um, so I like that a lot. Um, I also uh, kind of like similar, but different. I recently listened to um, the Align Method by Aaron Alexander, I believe is his name. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that was just kind of like about what you do throughout the day. You know, I've been sitting on the floor a lot more because of him. <laughs> so um, that's a good one too, just like overall like mind and body. And I actually had a conversation with him because I felt like mindset should really fit into his book more. And he was like, oh, it's something I'm thinking about for, for future stuff. So um, yeah, those are, those are the few that kind of come immediately to mind. Those are fantastic. Uh, how can people reach out to you and maybe become part of your course? Yeah, so I mainly spend my time on Instagram as far as social media goes, and I'm Coach Casey Joe over there. Um, my website has a lot of information about the certification, about other programs, about one-on-one -on -one coaching, and that is kjocoaching.com. Um, I dabble in the TikTok space. I dabble in Clubhouse, but it's probably honestly not. Are you, doing, are you doing the TikTok dances? <laughs> No dances. Oh. No dances at all. <laughs> I thought Try we had you. Educational route. <laughs> I, thought, I thought we had you there. Uh, Casey, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely wonderful to chat with you. And thank you for, very much for what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you.
And that is a wrap. Ladies and gents, thank you for being here. Thank you, as always, for tuning into the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. If you haven't already subscribed, go ahead and do that now. What are you waiting for? We have an incredible new series of podcasts coming at you over the next four months from now all the way to the end of 2021. We have a hot series of guests. We're coming in hot, bringing you guys some brand new cutting edge information. And the framing of the new podcast, the new direction of the podcast is this idea around the highest level of human achievement. So what does it look like to push the level of what the human body, the human mind, the human consciousness is truly capable of and all the things that go into that, which really, really lights me up even to think about, to talk about. And I can't wait to bring on some amazing new guests as well as some old favorites that you guys know and love. Do not forget to head over to bubsnaturals.com. Use the code MUSCLE to get hooked up with 20% off BU. B-S-N-A-T-U-R-A-L-S, bubsnaturals.com. Use the code muscle, get hooked up. Thank you so much to Casey Joe Arvidas for coming in to have a discussion with us today. If you're someone who uh, loves to set goals, love to accomplish goals, at some point, you're going to run into a roadblock, right? At some point, you're going to run into a belief that's limiting or a behavior that keeps coming up that you want to change. And Casey Joe gives us a lot of awesome action items for you to take away to implement into your best life. If you're the type of person who wants to surround yourself with other leaders aspiring to be their greatest self, share this podcast with at least one person you know and love, aspiring to live their greatest life in a body that they love. Have a great day. Thank you so much for tuning in to Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.